0: Hey, this is Louisiana Sister Squad Podcast, where we bring you real information to enhance your truther lifestyle. I'm Katie.
1: And I'm Tammy. Welcome Welcome to to the the show.
0: show. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Derek Evans. He was present at our nation's capital on January 6th as an elected official of West Virginia. He shares his story from start to finish, including behind the scenes of what was taking place with his family and how he dealt with being demonized by the media.
1: Thank you so much for being here, Derek. Welcome to the show.
0: The truth train doesn't stop here. Did you know that you can connect with us and our guests further? Join us on the uncensored platform,
1: Telegram, for live chats and Q&A with our guests.
0: Well,
2: thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. As you said, my name is Derek Evans. I'm a former member of the West Virginia House and uh, was arrested for peacefully and patriotically protesting on January 6th and went to prison. And I'm here to share not only my story, but the story of my fellow January 6th political prisoners.
0: To start, um, there's a lot of misconceptions and you know what's being portrayed is what happened on tv of course we know that mainstream media um is not factual or truthful and then um i think that there are even some intro infiltrators into the story people sharing stories that are not real um people trying to capitalize and just be um grifters to something that's extremely serious so Um, really quickly to kind of uh, recap what it is we're talking about for somebody that maybe has not heard a lot of information on January 6th um, or has heard a bunch of media lies what can you tell us um, like what are the most important key points to January 6th what exactly happened
2: yeah so I think the first thing that people got to understand is uh, the Capitol building if you've never been to Washington DC it's huge right and so uh, as as we were all swept up and we were all arrested and we were all there on january 6th it doesn't mean we saw the same things or experienced the same things for instance i was on the east side of the building everything that everyone sees on the news and in the media was all footage from the west side of the building now during my case i mapped that out uh just to show how far away from that i was and it was over a one mile walk to get from where i was at to all the the, the footage everyone sees on the media and so we didn't know those things were taking place on that day i didn't know until I was quite frankly, back out of D.C. and then cell phone service on the way home uh, and started watching the videos roll in on the media the same as everyone else. So uh, I think that's the biggest thing that people got to understand before we even get into January 6th is just how big that place is and how even though we were all there and we were all, you know, for the same reasons and, you know, all these things doesn't mean that um, we all saw the same thing. My experience could have been totally different from someone else who was on even, even quite frankly, on, on the same side of the building as myself, it could have been a totally different experience, so.
0: Okay, yeah, I think that is important to realize because I think from um, media footage, some of the snippets that I saw, now I'm not talking about um, all the cell phone footage and things like that, I'm talking about really just what the media shows. I've only seen uh, some snippets, but it does seem like everybody was really centralized. Um, or that those would be the people who were um, facing this, these kind of like extreme um, accusations. And so what you're saying is you're on the, the opposite side. So that's good to gain perspective from a whole. Like, where did you start? Did you also see like Donald Trump speak and then head that way?
2: Yeah, so for me personally, we uh, got off the bus in DC. It was like six o'clock in the morning, really early. At that point, that was already over a one mile line uh, to get in to listen to President Trump speak. I've heard President Trump speak multiple times. Um, so not that I didn't care, but you know, I just kind of wanted to see what else was going on in DC. So myself and a couple other people that just had me standing there, you know, having a conversation about all of this. Uh, one of them had mentioned that uh, they had a friend who was down at the Capitol and there's some stuff going on down there already and so i uh, started walking that way now at the time i didn't realize how far of a walk that was and the plan was to walk down there hang out for a little bit and then come back and see if the line you know had went down or you know there's uh, just could listen to the speech from the outside or whatever um after getting there it was like a you know one to two mile walk I was not going to turn around and walk all the way back just to walk back again so so we just stayed down there throughout the day um when we got through the uh Capitol, we approached from the west side uh, And once again this is like 7 30 in the morning and we heard noises coming from the back side of the Capitol. And so we walked back there. And that's where, like, the media stuff was set up. And that's where the members of Congress were entering and, and exiting the building. So if it was somebody like Matt Gates or Madison uh, Cawthorn, somebody that, you know, we uh, knew was going to be voting with us and supported us, you know, they'd give a little fist bump in the air. And we'd all chant USA and cheer for him. If it was somebody that, you know, we knew was a Democrat, we would boo and chant Stop the Steal. Noth- nothing, nothing crazy, you know. It was all good fun. It was, honestly, it was a good time. Um, There were street preachers back there. There were children. There were veterans in wheelchairs that, you know, it it was just a really good atmosphere throughout the day. Um, And then the other thing I really forgot to mention earlier, you know, my own personal experience. We've all heard about the fake news media and I described the two separate sides of the building uh, earlier. So what they did in my situation is they took I live streamed the entire day that I was there. So I wasn't trying to hide anything that I did or anything like that. And once again, I was an elected representative. And um, they, would, they, they took my video uh, of, the, of me walking into the Capitol, the one that's pinned to my Twitter and all of that, and they would take that and they would splice it and cut it with footage from the west side of the building to make it appear as if I was with that crowd that was on the west side of the building that was breaking uh, windows and doors and fighting police officers, which was not the case at all. And so it was really, you know, I would experienced fake news media at the local level, uh, this was a very uh, uh, eye-opening experience, to say the least, as to the fake news media on a national scale. I'd never experienced that, or at least been a, the 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 focal point of that for, for you know. But prior to January sixth,
1: whenever you say we, um, did you go with just like a group of friends? The second question is like, what motivated you to go to like want to be at this event?
2: Yeah. Great question. So, um, for me, there was a group of buses that were leaving here so that some people just, I didn't even know just, they had, um, uh, multiple buses that left this area and headed to DC. I bought a ticket and hopped on one of those buses. My wife did not go. No one else in my family uh, went, uh, the reason I almost didn't even go, to be honest with you. Um, and one of the reasons I went was number one, president Trump had never really asked us to do anything before. I mean, the man has fought for us and just taken attack after attack after attack. This is the first time he really said, hey, I'm asking you guys to show up to an event, you know. And so, I, you know, I felt, I don't want to say obligated, but I felt that, you know, I, I need to be there. He's never asked us to, to do anything before. So that was one reason. And the other reason is I had so many constituents here in West Virginia. I mean, Trump won West Virginia. Uh, every county in the state, both times that he ran, it's the only state in the country that can say that. And, you know, I had a lot of constituents who felt that their voices were stolen, even though he won West Virginia. But the fact that we saw this, um, the, you know, the voter irregularities happening in other states, and they were concerned about it, and they wanted uh, they wanted their elected representative to, to stand up and do something at the end of the day. Um, we had filed, uh, just like all these other politicians, I signed on to these amicus briefs and, you know, petitions and all that. At the end of the day, they all knew that wasn't going to do anything. That was just to pat themselves on the back and make themselves look good. Uh, I'm not a politician. I've never been elected before uh, 2020. I was just a guy who's uh, quite frankly, like everybody else, who's just fed up with the uh, the Rhino spineless jellyback Rhinos representing us who are weak and don't don't want to fight back. And so, I was actually a pro-life activist before this, to so stand outside of our local abortion clinic and offer women other options. and And that's that's what I, that's what I did before politics. And uh, just got frustrated and decided to run because my elect, elected representatives wouldn't return my phone calls. And they didn't really at first expect to, to win i was just running to prove a point and then i wanted a landslide victory it was the first republican to win my district in 98 years and um you know so they they were expecting me to do something other than just sit around and then and, and sign paperwork and so i showed up that day and and uh and i locked him and that's what i used to do i used to on top of everything else I used to travel around uh kind of like a citizen journalist never really called myself that but i tended black lives matter rallies and and antifa rallies in the area and and would you know go out and challenge people as as to their views and uh we went went to dc for run for the wall previously to that to you know uh film the veterans and all that good stuff so i I had a good social media following from from all of this i mean when i when i hit the end button on my live stream that day there was already well over a million views i mean i was reaching around five or six five at least five million people a month organically with with not no paid ads and that all got wiped away as well and through the, the, the platforming of all of this. But, you know, we can get into that later. But uh, so that, that's the reason I went. You know, as a long answer, but I wanted to give the full context there as to why I felt the need to go.
0: You mentioned that President Trump asked for people to show up. I don't remember that. So in what context did he ask? where did the message come from that he wanted people to show up and can you kind of give a better verbatim?
2: Uh, He actually tweeted and uh, with uh, the meme for the stop the steal and the the rally and said, you know, be there. It's going to be wild. Except, you know, please please show up type of thing. And so, so that's why I went. And it's important for people to realize that none of us were there attempting to uh, overturn the election. None of us showed up for that reason. And actually, uh, they deplatform on Twitter, and, and that's been very detrimental to myself and other January Sixers in our legal defense. There was a specific tweet that I put out uh, weeks before January 6, where I'd actually even explicitly said that I, I mentioned, "Hey, guys, we're not going there to overturn the election. That's not how this works. I'm, you know, I'm, I know how how this works. We're going there asking um, the representatives to send the to send the certification back to the states and let the legislators." you know, do a, a true audit and, you know, uh, look at everything. And and so I tweeted that out weeks prior to January 6th. So I'm on the record as saying that, but I don't have, I can't access that. And I'm hoping that I can get access to my account now that, you know, Elon Musk is letting conservatives back on there. Uh, not that I would go back to using my old account, but I would like to have that just to, to prove. I, got, I had actually ended up having a screenshot of it sent to me, but it was too late in the legal process at that point to really, do anything. Um, but, you know, we wasn't there to try to overturn an election. We were there exercising our natural God-given right to free speech, asking our elected representatives to do what they constitutionally are allowed to do, which is to send the votes back to the state legislators for them to review that and audit that. And it's, it's happened before in our country's history. It's not like we were asking them to do something they had never done before.
1: So oh, um one thing that um I did happen to catch that a lot of people haven't seen is the aerial footage from January 6th. And it was said to have like over 2 million people there. Would you say that that's accurate?
2: I can tell you that I've been to um big college football stadiums, Ohio State, Tennessee, you know, with 100, over 100,000 people. I have never in my entire life seen this many people in one location before. You know, whether that's a NASCAR race, football, college football games with hundreds of thousands. I've never, I've never seen, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know how to estimate this many people. I mean, it was as far as you could see in every direction. And it was shoulder to shoulder. I mean, it was, it's a two million. I would not argue that. I can say, because I don't even know how to put a number on it. It was, it was a lot.
0: I see a lot of obviously political divide, you know, over this. You have um, the left um, and even some people on the right claiming that uh, January 6th is, and everybody that participated in it, anybody that went into the Capitol, they're very comfortable with labeling them a terrorist. How does that make you feel, or how would, um, if you could respond to all of those people right now, what would you say? You know
2: that's one of the been one of the hardest parts about all this. You know, um, I love this country. I showed up there, um, you know, doing what I believe was the correct thing in order to try, uh trying to save this country, and um, doing what I believe was con- uh, protected by the U.S. Constitution as well as my natural God-given rights. And uh, that's been one of the most hurtful things in, in all of this, is to uh, have people call you a terrorist and insurrectionist. Uh, at the same time, though. Um, You know I I don't blame the individuals I blame the mainstream media because they've been beating that drum for so long and there's just so many people out there who um, Just haven't taken the time to do their own research or don't know how or or whatever the the reason is and it's not just the liberal media It's a lot of the conservative media who quite frankly refuses to cover this from our side of the stamp You know from our side of this and and give us equal coverage Uh, You know if we even got a tenth of the coverage on it from from Fox in terms of you know letting us tell our stories compared to what we're getting blasted by all the other media outlets, that would go a long ways by itself in terms of, uh, of, of beating that narrative. But, you know, it's it's been hard. You know, people's got to remember, um, you know, we have Matthew Perna, and then there's some others who, who committed suicide from this. And quite frankly, you, you listen to, to Matthew's aunt, uh, part of the reason was, you know, their entire community just, you know, really just turn their backs on them because they thought they were terrorists and, and insurrectionists and that the media is the ones who painted that narrative. And, uh, you know, that's it's been hard. Honestly, it's uh, that's been lonely as a January 6th person for a while. Uh, it's been really good for me. Finally getting all this over with so I can get out and actually start speaking to people to uh, see how much support we really have because it's not on the media. And, and, you know, until now, you couldn't even talk about it on social media. Thank God for Twitter um so they've, they've done a really good job of making you feel that the entire country hates you and uh that's been that's been really tough i'm not gonna lie you know I, for the first few months i mean i wasn't on house arrest but i might as well have been i wouldn't i would hardly leave my house for anything i would just i didn't know how my community was going to feel about me i didn't know i mean, I have people saying hey don't worry about it. everybody loves you man they're, they're excited that you did this and i found that out now but at the time, I didn't, I didn't know how they felt. It was really when I had a couple of constituents who I'd never even met before who showed up to my house and knocked on my door and wanted to shake my hand and thank me for having a backbone to go represent them. And that was kind of a turning point for me mentally. I was probably the person that the the, the liberal media in West Virginia loved to hate on prior to January 6th because I was such an outspoken uh, conservative and had a huge following and just didn't really care what the media thought. And I still don't really care what they think. I was getting messages from people. I just saw you on Jimmy Kimmel and Stephen Colbert. and all. I'm like, oh, my, this is nuts, you know. Uh, BBC f- flew in from Britain and came and knocked on my door. 60 Minutes came to my house. I mean, it was like something we saw out of a TV show. I'm from a small town. The, the population on the Internet says that we have like 526 people in this town, but they don't tell you just how, how big of an area that really is. We're talking miles. Uh, there's probably as many cows as there are people, maybe more cows than people here. And so to, to pull up to my house and there are just media vans everywhere. I mean, it was, it was crazy. We'd pull out the driveway and they're walking beside the car, you know, with their microphones, asking questions and, and it was hard for me being blasted by the media and not able to, uh, respond, you know, because I've always, I've always held my own in the media and responded and. I wasn't able to do. I didn't have a social media platform anymore to respond. And that that was really how I helped keep the the liberal local media in check because I had a bigger following on social media than they did. So, uh, you know, I didn't really care what they had to say because I could say it louder, you know, but I didn't have that anymore. And it was it was difficult. It was very hard.
0: The true the true story. Do you feel like once it was out and published that they gave um, the real story?
2: Oh, not not at all. So, you know, I didn't speak to the media for almost 18 months, you know, that's how my legal battle and getting sentenced and all of that. Um, and I, and I already knew not to cause I knew they was going to twist everything and it was going to be used against me. It, you know, whether I said something or didn't say something, they was going to use it against me. And so I, I, refused to do it. Um, real America's voice has just been, you know, they're awesome. They've been great for us, but all the mainstream media people, uh, Stu Peters, sorry, I can't leave him out. He's been great to us as well. Uh, but you know, in terms of the mainstream media, uh, no, absolutely not. And what, one of them comes into mind is uh, Scott McFarland from uh, CBS. This guy had texted me for a year wanting an interview, you know, uh, 18 months, quite frankly, always text me on an interview. And so um, I told him, you know, I'll give him an interview. And so I gave him an interview and they just took everything I said and twisted it. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, they'd asked me at one point in the interview, if uh, I felt that, um, what my constituents had thought about what I did. And I explained to them what I told you guys, look, they can't, my constituents didn't care. They loved me for it. They, you know, thanked me. They came to my house and shook my hand. Uh, I had liberals from all across the country sending me hate mail, but that's a different story. But so that was, that was my answer to that question. But when they air, so then later he asked if I was going to run for office again, and I had informed him, uh, that, you know, look, man, I'm just trying to get my, my, my legal battles over with get my prison sentence over with and then we'll figure it out from there I don't know if I'm gonna run for office or not that, that's that was my answer and then he asked again and said do you think if you run that this helps you in your district because it's a really red district us once again I said man I don't even know if I'm gonna run for anything right now I'm just trying to get this behind me so when they aired the uh, the segment they took that question of Scott saying do you think this helps you when you if you decide to run for office and then he took my answer from earlier, where I was explaining why my constituents had reacted to the situation and used that and said, That was my answer to that question. And it wasn't, that was not my answer to the question. And then they put out a headline, and I still got the screenshots uh, on CBS. You know, this is national CBS. Uh, and and they asked me specifically if I was going to run against Joe Manchin for U.S. Senate, and and you know, so they kept asking about all this. And I just kept deflecting. Like, Look, I, and I wasn't just deflecting. I, that was the least of my worries. I was going to go to prison and leave my family. You know, that's the least of my worries if I was going to run for office or not. And uh, but the the headlines come out that says uh, Derek Evans is uh, you know looking at running against Joe Manchin for U.S. Senate. That was the headline of the the article. And and then I, and then they when I watched the thing on on their CBS you know news um that was their segment and they 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 took that answer and put it in behind another question and that i just couldn't believe it i was like you've got to be you've got to be kidding me you know um i mean there's fake news and then there's fake news and this was just next level so so yeah but even the local media is not you know the greatest either but uh that was probably one of the most like shocking things I, i I don't know why I was shocked, but I was. I, I just couldn't believe that they took my answer and, and put it behind another question to make it seem as I, I just couldn't believe it.
1: So you said that you didn't even really know what was happening until you were on your way home, right? What happened after that?
2: Yeah, so so first let me just say that you know my video is pinned to my Twitter, True Social, Facebook, all of that as to what I actually did that day. And uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I walked, they opened up the east side doors um and i walked through an open set of doors i walked straight over to a police officer i said thank you for your service sir i have nothing but respect for you he gives me a fist bump and i walked inside and then i'm heard telling people don't destroy anything don't vandalize anything which nobody was the the government tried to use that against me for saying that but i don't know how but they they tried to make it seem as if i knew people were being violent which i wasn't our side of the building had been repeating that throughout the entire day because we knew the media would take anything we did and twist us. So we were just reminding each other throughout the day not to do that. You can hear somebody in the background of my video even saying, we're not Antifa. Don't destroy anything, you know. And so uh, because of that, I was facing 24 years in prison. Uh, but before we get to that, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I come home. Uh, actually, I get get. I'm in the I'm in the Capitol and I receive it. I'm in there less than 10 minutes. I receive an alert on my phone that says D.C. is going into lockdown. Uh, got a curfew at 6 p.m. This is how naive I was. At that time, I was concerned, I need to get back to the bus, back to the group, get on the bus, and get out of here so I don't break curfew and get arrested and get a ticket for, for breaking curfew. That was my concern. Little did I know that would, that was the least of my worries. Um, so they jammed cell phone service after that, so nobody has cell phone service in D.C. So as I get back into cell phone service from just outside of D.C., my phone is blowing up. I mean, I'm talking at, Every national news media outlet in the in the country, some from other countries were were texting me and calling me, wanting an interview. And I'm I'm thinking, for what? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean I was there at the the cap. What what is what is going on? I didn't know. I honestly had no clue. And then I'm getting hate text messages. You're going to prison for insurrection. You're getting the death penalty for insurrection. Now I'm over at Google and I'm like, what the heck is insurrection? To be honest with you, I did I didn't know. I'm not even I'm not even going lie. I didn't I didn't even know what it was. So now i'm freaking out because you google that word and you're like oh my gosh you know <laughs> what in the world are you know and you hear the first few times you laugh about it but after 100 people tell you you start thinking daggone did i me walk through those doors is it really going to result in i didn't know you know what i mean I, I had no clue and so at this point i'm starting to get concerned i'm like and now we're now we're starting to see videos from other parts of the building so now at this point, I realize I'm in some trouble. I don't know if I'm in legal trouble, but like as an elected representative, that's why they're wanting to do the interview with me. They're wanting to smear me and blast me for being there and say I was a part of that. So I put out a little statement, hey, yeah, I was there, but I didn't uh, have any negative interactions with police officers, which is true. And uh, that's what I was, you know, just trying to squash that so they wouldn't, you know, drag me through the mud on on that. Um, and then by the time I get home, I'm just like, man, I'm, I might be going to. I'm going to be getting legal trouble here at this point, you know, because I started realizing just how serious all of this was becoming. And by the time I got home, yeah, I was like, uh, there's, I had a, a someone who follows me here. Who's a lawyer who reached out to me and said, Hey, you need to come down here and see me. I didn't even slept. I mean, we just rode straight back from DC and I said, man, is it really that serious? He said, yeah, you need to, you need to get down here. I was like, okay. So I get down here. And he's like, I don't think you did anything wrong. I'm not saying that, but like, I've seen this happen plenty of times in media pressure. Like you need to have some legal representation. So I said, okay. So, uh, got, had him as my attorney and he reached out to them and said, Hey, if you guys want this guy, he's cooperative, just let him know he'll turn himself in. So at least now I was like, okay, they're not going to kick my door in the middle of the night. That's, that was my concern at this point. I got kids and you know, all this, that my my wife and that, so that, that point, that was my concern. And then, uh, January 8th, uh, probably around two o'clock, something like that. My wife, uh, we had three kids at the time. She was nine months pregnant, was going to her last uh, doctor's appointment, and she had left. And it's funny, I've never told this story, actually. So she calls me. The media had been in her house for like a day and a half, two days, every day. And uh, so she calls me, and she's like, hey, I just outran somebody. Uh, I thought it was the media, but I kind of think it was the FBI. And I was like, no, it wasn't. it wasn't the FBI. It had to be some media person because they followed her. I guess they are parked out there somewhere outside of her house and followed her. And it's like, she was like slowing down really far to let them go around. They wouldn't go around. And then she'd speed up. They'd speed up. So she, we thought it was the media at first because they were just, that's how crazy they were with trying to get an interview from me. And sure enough, about 10 minutes after that, media shows up at my house. And then 10 minutes after that, the FBI rolls in. So they they tipped off the media. The media hadn't been there. They'd left, blah, blah, blah. All the media set up, had the tripods out. And then here comes the FBI. They rolled up. And. 10 to 15 people deep come in here their tactical gear and all this and uh and arrest me
0: are really just outright planned staged and absolutely sinister and really an attack on american citizens um and then you know for having you go through that i mean that's a really big deal to be um smeared the way you were we saw we've seen it happen especially i think ever since trump that's what's really been like a true exposing part of the media of how they really twist and turn things around. Um, but I want to say thank you for you know just being here and sharing this because I do think it's important. And I know it's not always easy um, talking about or even reliving those moments of um, just feeling like you don't know what's next. That has absolutely got to be terrifying. <laughs> and and they they arrest you, but at this they just end in questioning correct
2: no so at this point they they, they come they knock they they luckily they knocked on the door they knocked hard but they didn't knock my door down thankfully it was probably because my kids are standing i got a huge window in my living room they were standing there and you know i'm trying to get my kids i'm like getting a tablet go back to the room so daddy can talk to his friends type of thing you know i'm trying to to, to shelter them as much as possible from that and it's weird one of the things i had entered my head was i've got these dogs and i've, I've Heard them sh- shooting dogs before in the past. So I was kind of concerned about pets too. So I hollered, I said, Hey, I'm in here. I'm just going to get my, my kids and my dogs uh, you know, put up and, and, uh, and I'll answer the door. And they said, Okay, hurry up. I said, you, uh, They said, You're under arrest. And I said, well, What are my charges? And uh, they wouldn't even tell me at first. They didn't read my, my rights either, for that matter. Uh, but then I said, We will handle it when we get down to the station, uh, to the building. Uh, but uh, we're pretty sure we're gonna be able to get you home tonight. And I said, "Okay, that that's great news." You know, so I had no idea what my charges were this entire time, and uh, went down to the uh, to the federal building here locally, and um, that is when I found out my initial charges. I had two misdemeanor charges. Is all it was originally. It was uh, like prating and picketing, and like violent injury. It's basically two forms of of trespassing with different names. It was trespassing and like Picketing on Capitol grounds without a permit or something, you know, and uh, so I'm I'm sitting back there in a jail cell, and then I uh, they bring me out because my lawyer finally gets there, and um, so yeah, I had uh, I'd spoken to my attorney through glass, which is something you know I never thought I would ever have to experience that. It was it was crazy, uh, but he was like you know just stay calm. I believe we can get you home home this evening and, and get you back. And this is a Friday, so he's like we need to hurry up and get you home. Um, so we go down, we see the uh, federal judge. And luckily she she let me out uh, on bond that night to come back with my family. And that's something I've been very fortunate uh, about this entire time. And, and what people really need to understand, and this is really more to the people on the right hand side on the conservatives who think that, um, you know, that means everybody cooperated or they're fed and all this stuff. The, the, the reason some people are getting to come home pre-trial and some are not, it really depends on where you're arraigned. So if you were picked up and you're arraigned through a DC judge, your butt's sitting in, in jail. They're not going to let you out. That's just for whatever reason, they're not letting people come home. And it's, it's it's a travesty. It's wrong. It's unconstitutional. But they're holding them pretrial. If you were arraigned outside of D.C., and and, and then you had a really good chance that you were going to get to go home uh, while you are fighting your legal battles. So that's really the two key differences there for people. So I got to go home and, uh, you know, go walk right back through the media again. And uh, it was just funny because, you know, uh, the next day I'm all over the front page of L.A. Times, New York Times. I mean, you name it. It was it was Yahoo. I mean, everything it was it was crazy. And um, so I was charged with two misdemeanors and, and came home. And to be honest with you, it was kind of a relief because at that point I was like, at least I know what I'm facing now. You know what I mean? Like we, we got this and it was kind of a relief. It was like it sucks. Don't get me wrong. But like, I'm, I'm glad that part's over with. And um, so then a few months later, they came back and charged me with two more misdemeanors. And it was just two more. I don't know the exact names. Everybody's basically getting charged with these four misdemeanors. So at that point I had been charged with the same four misdemeanors as everybody else. So I had done multiple interviews with the FBI and the DOJ throughout this process. And, uh, primarily, I mean, they were asking about January 6th, don't get me wrong, but it was obvious that the two things that they really wanted uh, out of me was they wanted me to say that, um, that Joe Biden won a free and fair election and I had made a mistake. And they wanted me to blame President Trump for my actions on January 6th. And I refused to do both of those things. During this, after my last interview, they had offered me a verbal plea deal and said, choose your misdemeanor. We will throw out all the other charges and uh, just plead guilty to whatever misdemeanor you want to, and we'll, we'll move on. And I was like, send me the paperwork, you know, I'm ready to sign that. And um, so I was supposed to enter that plea on, I like, was either Thursday or Friday and uh this is like two weeks after that and uh that tuesday the prosecuting attorney reached out through my attorney and said you know hey i'm sorry we have to withdraw that verbal plea offer this is coming from the highest levels of the doj my boss doesn't even know where this is coming from right now it's going from the highest levels of the doj this is going to it's going to take a really long time to negotiate everything from this point forward because from this point forward everything we negotiate has to go all the way up the chain of command and once again don't know how high it's going and how high it's not And then it has to come all the way back down the chain of command oh and by the way we're indicting you on a felony uh obstruction official proceeding which is the 1512 and one of the charges they just recommended for president trump so now i'm facing 24 years in prison so i went from thinking this is over with in june of 2021 um and it was the same plea deal that the very first lady who pled guilty to had accepted and there's a couple others and then just all of a sudden like that they just said no and uh stopped stopped offering it and and then I dotted me on the felony obstruction of official proceeding, which doesn't even fit this crime. Just a quick Cliff Notes version of that charge. It was created during the early 2000s during the Enron insider bank trading. And what was happening as if people were coming in to testify before Congress, uh, people were tampering with those witnesses. They were threatening them or bribing them or whatever it is. And so they created this 1512 obstruction of official proceeding under the code of tampering with a witness. So the nobody tampered with a witness on January 6th. So this charge doesn't even make sense for us, Uh, but it comes with a 20 year prison sentence and they use that to overcharge you and then hold that over your head the rest of the time. So that that's what not only myself, but a lot of January sixth people have been, have been facing this entire time. So, so yeah, I went from thinking it was over with to facing 24 years in prison uh, in June of last year. It's been crazy.
0: Uh, When you talk about going up the chain of command and down the the chain of command and you've been through the court system, who is really responsible for making that call? Do you know?
2: I don't personally know for sure, but this is what everybody's got to remember is this is around the same time that the uh, Biden administration's AG people were getting settled into where into their new roles. So early on, if you remember when it very first happened under the Trump administration's attorney general and all of that, they laid out a very clear and what I thought was a fair uh guideline at the time they said look if you were violent and you you know destroyed things you're in this category and you're going to face the consequences for that if you were somebody who walked inside and you went into the into the public air, or the private areas the chambers and and uh you know all of that then you're in this kind of gray area and we're going to look at you more closely and you you might be facing felonies you might not if you were somebody who just walked through open doors you didn't have any negative interactions with police officers you didn't destroy anything you're only going to face misdemeanors so i'm 100 percent the misdemeanor category so I, I thought that was fair you know i'm not saying you know that i didn't i honestly thought i would get a ticket of some sort you know when people pounded on the kavanaugh uh during the, on the doors on the kavanaugh hearings those people got like 100 tickets and i thought i would get something like that i mean i that, that was fine i was uh, willing to face those consequences um so even that, I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. You know, it still comes with potential prison time, but whatever. Um, but I thought that was that was relatively fair for a, a guideline setting up on something so massive where there were so many people had different experiences. But what we've realized is as the Biden administration took over the attorney general's office and got their people settled in and everything, they just really ramped up the charges. I mean, they're not only, you know, uh, in my situation, but They're slapping everybody with that. Now they're threatening people who are not accepting the plea deals. They're threatening them with uh, terrorist enhancements. And there's always enhancements I didn't know about existed in the criminal justice system that they can basically add add extra time to your sentences. So threatening enhancements and all these things, just trying to, and they're using that 1512. They're just like throwing that at everybody now to basically force you to take a plea deal. And for me personally, I think that they really wanted to go after the felony for me uh partly to drag it out longer uh drain me financially and to um in my opinion in west virginia you can't run for state or local office while you're on probation so from a guy got three years of probation now and so i couldn't run for state i can't run for county dog catcher until 2026 in west virginia but i can run for federal office i can run for president congress or senate if i want to so the joke's on them in that regard but i think that was part of their motivation and I think part of it was they wanted to say that, um, you know, I, I was the highest ranking Republican official uh, elected official that they had their hands on. And, and I think that was part of the reason. And I don't know that for sure, but to me, it's the only thing that makes sense. And, and that's what my legal team ha- has believed as well as, you know, I was just the highest ranking elected official. They could get their hands on. They were you know mad and upset and they were wanting to stick it to somebody and they couldn't get Trump. So I was that somebody and that's just my opinion.
0: You said that you were elected in 2020, and then this happened. Where do you stand now? Like, what what happened?
2: Yeah, so uh, that's a whole other story, too. Remember I mentioned the spineless Jellyback Ranos? Well, we have them here in West Virginia, too. So, uh, you know, all these people who um, ran on the Trump ticket, uh, I'm going to fight for you and all this stuff they all folded like a cheap 10 when it came down to it. And I've called them all out and I'm gonna continue calling them out and I've got screenshots and the whole nine yards. I've got a lot of cards to play when the time comes around for these spineless people here in West Virginia. But, um, you know, I I was close. I probably had the votes to stay, I did have the votes to stay in the house at the time. But the issue was uh, they definitely had the votes to censor me and to not place me on any committees and all these things and um so there was a lot to unpack there honestly it's one of my it, it, from a personal standpoint it's one of my biggest regrets has ever resigning, um because that's not who i am but i i ran to give the people in my district a voice and they wasn't going to have a voice but with a representative who was censored and not allowed on committees and not allowed to basically i was just Going to just be collecting a check, honestly. I wasn't even going to vote on stuff. I was just going to be there. Um, and I didn't think that was fair. I thought that was going to be selfish of me to to do that to them. And uh, so that was part of it. And then they actually handed me the uh, two, uh, the little rep from the uh, Speaker of the House came down with my legal team and handed two different press releases one of me resigning and one of them voting to do all of that and my legal team looked at me, and was like, we don't need this one to hit the media, but this one will help you. And so that was part of it. There was a lot to unpack there. And then I, I, I got some information. I still don't know if it's accurate. Or not. I haven't had time to research it, but there was some people that was claiming that if they did, uh, which they didn't have the votes to vote me out. But if they did, it was, and it was close. Don't get me wrong. It was close. Um, if if they would have been able to have done that, uh, then I was told I wouldn't be able to run anymore in the future. And if I just stepped down, then I could, I could run again. So that, that that played a small part in it. But the biggest part was I didn't think it was fair to the 40-some, 50,000 people or whatever that I represented that they wasn't going to have a voice uh, because I was wanting to be selfish. So, so I stepped down. And looking back from a legal standpoint and just knowing everything I know now, it, I'm glad that I did because I had to fight for my own freedom for 18 months. There was no way that I could have been fighting politically for 50,000 people while fighting for my own freedom at the same time against the most powerful government and corrupt government in the history of the world. So, so looking back, it was the right decision, but it still stings and bothers me from a personal standpoint.
0: Continue to build trust with you that you did the right thing for them. It wasn't necessarily about you. Um, that really just reminds me about President Trump Um, I just think of all of the things that he could have done had he not been fighting, um, you know, the fake impeachment and being under um, just constant attack. I don't, on one hand, I know that when I'm under pressure when people are doubting me, that makes me, uh, like a lot of other people do 10 times more than I probably would have done having that doubt. Um, But I do think that he had the best interest of the American people um, from start to finish while he was president. And it's really such a shame um, that he had to go through those things as well, as far as fighting impeachment and such uh, demonization and slander um, from the media. And you said they wanted you to basically say uh, that Donald Trump made you do it. No, I don't think that he made you do it. He He asked for help and as a representative, you did the right thing. Knowing that, Really seeing the spider web of how the, the government and the corruption works, and now all of this about um, Nancy Pelosi denying more assistance at the Capitol. Um, we know that the FBI is involved and um, really encouraged people um, to to get in these ridiculous situations. How innocent do you feel that Trump is? like in in all of this, do you think that he knew um, there was a setup happening or what? What's your opinion on that?
2: I think that uh, President Trump is the greatest president of my lifetime. I think that he attempted to do everything that he said he was gonna do when he ran. And I I think that um, even he underestimated how deep and big the swamp really is. Uh, I, I don't think anyone could have ever imagined I mean, look at everything we've already, we know for sure now, once again, the Twitter files, you know, I mean, this is, we're just uncovering so much, you know, and so President Trump walked in and flipped on the lights and the cockroaches just started scattering. I think that he was just like, whoa, I did not, you know, I don't think he ever dreamed it'd be this big, to be honest with you. But so no, uh, to be honest with you, um, i got to be careful while I say this, because I don't want everybody to twist it, but, you know, had Trump wanted there to have been um what the media is claiming january 6 was if trump had wanted that uh he's one of the few people in this country and probably in this world who, who could uh make a request and and make something like that happen i'm not saying that i'm i'm encouraging that by any means uh, and i think that's why he didn't do that but so what i'm i guess what i'm saying is you know, they're twisting and trying to say that Trump, uh, was, was attempting to do something. That's simply not true. If he was attempting to do something, he could have done it. Uh, I don't know about now, but on that, uh, you know, in that moment, in that, that period of time in our country's history, uh, he, he could have just said, I'm not, I'm refusing to leave. And I think people would have supported him. I, I mean, I, I, really do. And I, and I think that he once again, put his love of this country, over his own personal interest of uh, believing the election was stolen, the same way that I chose to step down uh, for my constituents uh, in that situation, I believe that President Trump put his love for this country above his own self-interest in that moment. To be honest with you, because I think that if he would have refused to have stepped down, I think this country would have went to civil war. And I'm glad, I'm glad that didn't come to that. That's not something I don't think any of us want to see. But I, I think. I think that could have happened and he 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 didn't want that to happen. He put this love of this country over his own self-interest. And I don't think he's getting enough credit for that.
0: Sure, to not twist that around. I will leave that in its full context. I agree with you that Trump could have said, you know, that's it, go for it. And and I, I think that probably even myself, I would have been like, Yes, let's go. Like I would have been all for it. Um, and having free and fair elections and not being ruled by this absolute corruption is is the very, you know, it's the heartbeat of who we are as patriotic Americans. What's your thoughts on the death of Ashley Babbitt?
2: You know, the, the thing, honestly, that makes me the most upset about this entire situation has got to be the people on the right who want to say it's a false flag, <laughs> guys, I've spoke to Mick, her mom, you know, uh, she has a vigil every single night outside in D.C. there. Now, if it's a false flag, I can just tell you this much. They've tricked her, her entire family. Okay, so regardless, there's a mother who's grieving right now the loss of her child. So so, you know, I don't I believe it was real, obviously. And and I'll tell my own story about that. But, you know, she's unarmed. uh, And the other concerning thing is that Anytime that there's a police shooting in this country, uh, regardless of the video or regardless of what was going on, there's always an investigation. And, and I think that's fair. But there was no investigation in that in the death of Ashley Babbitt. They just said, oh, nope, it was justified and went on about about their day. You know, we've seen videos of people literally pulling a gun and shooting at police officers and the police officers shooting back in self-defense. And they still do a six month investigation as to whether the cop had the right to pull his gun and defend himself or not. And then in this situation, they just want to up and say who, you know, is okay. And they didn't want to release the name of who it was. It was really investigative journalists who determined who the shooter was, you know, all all these things. is just, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, it was the smartest thing to try to cross the window, but if he wasn't there in that moment, that's so easy to Monday quarterback that for somebody who wasn't there. If he wasn't there in that moment, I, yeah, it's hard to really explain it. To be honest with you, uh, I, I would say that's out of character for her. I would imagine it definitely did not deserve to, somebody to shoot her over this. Um, and and you know, I, I just don't think that she probably realized what was taking place on the other side of, of that door over there. That there was people with, with guns drawn and everything. But once again, it's so easy in hindsight for people to look back and you know, because you got to remember the people who weren't there who were looking at all this. Now that you've got all the information in that moment. We, we didn't know any of the, the, all the information everybody has. I'm pretty sure she walked through the same doors as I did, or at least the same side of the building as I did. So she, once again, did not know anything. People have been fighting police officers on the other side of the building. She didn't know that, to my knowledge, anyways. I'll tell you another story is, uh, you know, I, I, I came outside. And like I said, this, that cell phone was going in and out. They completely jammed it. But before it went out, I would received a text uh, and it said, are you okay? You know, somebody was shot there. I was like, there's nobody been shot here. I thought that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard of, you know? Well, I go out and I sit down, I'm waiting, you know, trying to just look through the crowd to see if I recognize anybody from my group and that, that rode the, the bus there, you know, which I didn't know them anyways, but I was just hoping I would see somebody that I recognize. And an an older gentleman comes up to me and has blood on him. And he asked me, he says, are you with the media? And I said, well, no. and, uh, you know, he said, well, that person right there is Associated Press. Do you think I can trust them? I said, no, I definitely can't trust them. But what, what is this about? You know, what's going on? He said, I got video footage of the girl who got shot in there. And then I was like, whoa, it's like somebody really got shot in here? And he said, yeah. And so I saw the footage. Uh, he, he, he had the footage right there, but I mean, moments afterwards and had blood on him. He was there. It wasn't the John Sullivan guy. There was the second angle, and it was the second angle guy. Is the guy that I had, I had met outside there, and and I mean he was he was shook up. So once again, uh, for people who doesn't think it was real, somebody was literally right there and had blood on them. I mean this guy was he was shook up. I mean he he definitely believed it was real as well. And and you know so I, I don't I don't know how people. I think some people just I don't say they're heartless to say something like that. I really don't. I just think I think that they're negligent would probably be the proper word choice there to to not really realize um how that's affecting their family you know um so you know there's a there's a family who's grieving right now from that and and there's never been a proper investigation and she's only one of uh four or five murders that happened that day you know and i've been accused of being a false flagger myself when i put my video out uh, when i was released from prison um i remember that was uh, i went viral gab actually of all places and there were so many people on there saying that i was a fed and a plant and i never served any time in prison and all this stuff because my hands were in my pocket and everything i was just like you guys have no idea what emotional state i was in it was it took it was hard to even put that video together to do that um if you've never been to prison before um you know I've, i've told people that um the best way to explain it is is prison where is where a part of you goes to die i mean it's just that's the only way to explain it and um i I wanted to put that video together because i wanted to show them uh the government the fbi doj all these people the Biden administration, the illegitimate Biden regime i want to show them that you know i was still standing it wasn't going to break me that type of thing but to be honest with you on the inside i was broken at that moment you know i really was
0: i think um you know just as much as the media excuse There's people who um, are part of uh, the we'll just call them the quote unquote truth or community that, you know, are real grifters. They make everything seem um, like it's fake. And that's got to be um, disheartening for people that go through real life experiences. Uh, Like just being online as a regular person you get faced with like just people like the guy last night that told me um, that we have to watch out for AI and um, That I was a psyop and I was AI because he couldn't (laughs) he couldn't send me a message like um, either because like I'm shadow banned or whatever but or my privacy setting because he couldn't send me a message he said that this is a guy with a bigger influence and following that's all he's got to do is start tweeting me out saying that i'm I'm fucking a i you know and whatever, and then my career as a as a truther podcaster you know can be ruined and so <laughs> which my defense there's plenty of proof that I'm horrible at spelling, and I don't <laughs> know any a i that spells as terribly as i do okay
2: it's sad though that. Our government and mainstream media is so pathetic that we even have to question these sorts of things. Honestly, that that's the bigger issue here. right now. it's the bigger issue is not that someone thinks that Ashabaab was a false flag or this is a false flag or that you're a sob or that I was the FBI playing a false flag. That's not the issue. The issue is that there's so much distrust right now and rightfully so between the government our media and the people that's the real issue that we're facing right now and it's it's really sad and you know you get to know that too all it takes is some people to tweet out and um, you know somebody mentioned something in one of the twitter spaces uh a while back it might have been roger stone even that uh in the jfk space i think he said look they don't assassinate people anymore they don't have to they they just they just kill your character and your name because they they just kill you digitally and that's that's what they did to myself honestly it was you know, I've been deplatformed before January six. You know, I just make another account, and get back on, or whatever. You know, it sucks, start all over with no followers or nobody knows who you are or whatever. You know, it is. But this was this was next level. You know, when um, had I still had my following number one, I would have had uh, my videos from that day would have been out there. And and so that's the other thing. When when all of us got deplatformed on January eighth, there were so many citizen journalists. We're talking hours and out thousands of hours. video footage from january 6th that day are that are gone for forever that could be used to exonerate people right now people sitting in prison so that that's an issue uh but you know i wasn't able to raise money to uh to to try to fight these legal battles i could have done that if i still had my my social media not only was i not on social media but um when uh we had a give send go account anybody who shared the link to the give send go account facebook would not only take it down it would put that person in facebook jail for a minimum of three days for sharing a link to promote a terrorist that's what facebook was calling calling me at the time and then if you think getting the platform on social media is bad getting debanked is the worst thing that could ever happen to somebody uh you know chase bank canceled us never been never had an overdraft or nothing i opened up a chase uh, account when i was in college uh never had overdraft or anything like that um and they they just um, you know for no for no reason no warning or nothing just canceled us and uh, canceled my wife as well who wasn't even at didn't even go to the capitol um i had my commercial drone license uh, revoked i had you don't have to have a drone license to fly a drone but uh recreationally and, and everything but I, I wanted to get it just to to be uh extra safe and it was just something i was passionate about they revoked that from me. Uh, people involved in January six are not able, or if they are traveling, they're getting accosted, and their families. We got parents of January January six are sitting in prison, and their parents are trying to travel for the holidays right now, and just getting accosted by the DHS and, and TSA at the uh, at the airports. It's it's really sad what's happening. We're the most canceled uh, group of people in the entire world right now.
1: What do you think the purpose is of treating? you guys like this is so it like all falls back on Trump or like what's what's the purpose
2: so I think there's two reasons that they're treating us the way that they are number one is um the bigger they can make January 6th out to be and the you know they can make it seem more violent and all these things then that gives them more ammunition to go after President Trump. And, and you know, that was obvious from the get-go that that was their, their main plan with everything, just from the questioning that they were giving us back in 2021. Um, so that was, that was part of it. And the other part of it is to send a message. You know, they don't want um, conservatives. Look, look, people have to remember, the reason January 6th is so big and the reason, have you ever known of any other event that the media has talked about for two years straight? I mean, it's mind-blowing. The reason it's so big and they're so concerned with it is this is the first time that conservatives took to the streets and protested. This is something you see the left do on a regular basis, you know, and, and we didn't even burn down cities and, and tear up things and flip cars and attack personal business. We didn't do any of those things, but you know, that's, that's the things that the left do. This is the first time that they've ever seen the conservatives actually be fired up enough to go do that and you know and and in our defense we're busy raising families working building businesses and our nature is we just want to be left alone we don't want to you know that's just who we are as conservatives we just want to raise our families live peacefully and in freedom and be left alone and so we're always saying this is not the hill to die on and then the stolen election of 2020 was we finally looked around and said there's not any other hills left to go to right now this is the hill we're going to die on and so uh, they're, it scared them. I, quite frankly, I, there's no other way to describe it, that it scared the elites in D.C. Um, and, and to see the conservatives do this and they are scared to death it's going to happen again. And so they are trying to make an example out of us. And they're doing a good job of that, mind you, because it sucks. Uh, but they're, they're trying to make an example out of us and to prevent, you know, conservatives from having that fire and that passion, and that desire to uh, exercise our constitutionally protected, natural, God-given rights.
1: Started with Trump being removed from Twitter. Like we could take the president down. We could definitely take you down. And then it just escalated from there.
2: Myself and some of the other January 6ers who've already completed our prison terms. That's that's you know why we continue to speak out. You know, and, and I want people to realize we <laughs> we're not out of the woodwork. We take a lot of risk every time we speak out. I'm on probation for three years. I so much as roll through a stop sign, they can throw me back in prison if they want to. You know, for the next three years. So. Um, we do take a risk in doing it, but I also understand there's a lot of people who are watching us to see if we're, you know, going to, uh, let them silence us. The DOJ actually filed a report with my judge, uh, over some of my interviews I did between sentencing and reporting to prison, just trying to, uh, blast me for speaking out and speaking the truth about all this. And, you know, uh, I took it as a warning shot that, you know, that they were, um, you know, just threatening me at the end of the day. And. And, you know, now a lot of January 6ers are getting hit with, um, with gag orders. And, you know, I think part of that is because of me, because it was, it was right after, you know, I went on my national media tour afterwards, and there have been others who have done it before. And some of them were getting hit with gag orders. They can't talk about January six for five years. I mean, that's just, it's crazy, you know, what's happening. And so they're, they're trying their best to silence this. They wiped once again tens of thousands of hours of uh, citizen journalist uh, video footage off of social media that can be used to exonerate people. They're refusing to release the 14,000 hours of video footage to not only the public, but to the defendants, which could be used uh, to exonerate ourselves. And quite frankly, they're required under the Brady rule, of the U.S. Constitution to provide that under exculpatory evidence. They're not doing that. Um, they're not even talking about Ray So we wants to talk about him. He was on the FBI's most wanted list right after January 6th. And now he's not on there anymore nobody cares and they just want to let him do whatever he wants to do and he's the only one who's on video advocating for people to go into the the capital you know and so they're arresting people who were not even he didn't even go inside the Capitol. now they're arresting people who were outside the Capitol. so they're they're just going after everybody at this point and, and they're doing it and it's important for people to know it's us today it'll be you guys tomorrow
1: clarify for those who don't know who is ray epps
2: well, quite frankly, nobody really knows who he is, you know. Um, I personally think that he's a, he's an FBI plant, you know, so I guess I'm one of those conspiracy people now. I don't know, but, um, you know, he's on video multiple times the night before January 6th, on January 5th, he's uh, telling people we're going to go down to the Capitol, we're going to go in, and, and there's a whole group of people, protesters, standing there, start pointing at him and chanting, fed, 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 saying, we're not going to do that. Well, the next day on January 6th, He's on video. This is all on video. People can find it for themselves. He's on video standing there as people are going to the Trump rally. And he's telling everyone, hey, as soon as Trump's done speaking, we're going to the Capitol. Then we're going into the Capitol. Hey, and he just keeps repeating that to everybody. And nobody's really paying attention to him. Then he's seen at the Capitol uh, out there at the front lines, uh, shaking the barricades and all these things. And uh, once again, Gary from M5 News has done an excellent job breaking this down. You know, And I just watched this video myself. There's some sort of signal. It's obvious that Ray Epson, the people he's, leave, he's with, leave. Now, in Gary's video, Gary believes it's some red smoke that has popped off in the middle of that, that he shows on his video. I don't know. But regardless, um, to me, he's a Fed until proven otherwise. And the reason I say that is, we're arresting people for not for who didn't even go inside the building. We're arresting seventy year old grandmas who walked in the building. I mean, forget about me, you know. We're we're arresting seventy year old grandmas who walked through open set of doors. And then you got this guy who's on multiple videos multiple days in a row advocating and telling people to go break into the Capitol. And then they not only are they not arresting him, they don't care. Like they they he's not even on the radar. That is crazy to me.
1: People in Washington, DC are prosecuted so much more partially is because they're technically not a part of the United States.
2: You know, I've always wondered that. And uh, I definitely don't consider DC part of the United States. Now, I don't know the exact legal, you know, qualifications for all of that. That's that's above my pay grade, as they say. Uh, But I can tell you that um, they do whatever they want in DC. There is uh, no one one's going to get a fair trial in, in D.C. right now. We look, we, we all fought trying to get our trial moved out of D.C. If they would have move my trial out of D.C., I would have with a trial. Uh, but they, they pulled the a jury from registered voters. There's 94, 96 percent of the people there voted for Biden, number one. And the number two, they're they're literally I mean, that's where the event took place. The media talks about it every single day. They're in the parks in the, in the parks of D.C. live streaming on big monitors. The January six select committee uh, for everybody to hear that the, the jury pool is completely tainted. And then the judges themselves, I mean, it doesn't matter who they're appointed by. Uh, and quite frankly, from my experience, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but I believe a lot of the January 6ers would agree with this. Quite frankly, some of the most friendly judges towards us have been the Obama appointed judges, believe it or not. Um, the I, my judge was appointed by Reagan and he definitely was. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get any favors from him and neither did Pam Hemphill i um, not saying he's a bad guy. I'm not saying anything like that. You know, I'm just saying um, it, it, getting a fair trial in D.C. is, is almost non-existent. Quick example, uh, the Proud Boys trial coming up right now. They were just interviewing jurors, you know, recently for that. And one of the jurors had mentioned and said that they thought – this is all on record, by the way – said that the Proud Boys was a terrorist organization. Well, Stuart Rhodes um, – Blue Stuart Rhodes. His uh, attorney said, I want to make a motion to strike that juror. And the judge says on what grounds? And the attorney says he just called my client a terrorist. And the judge says no. He said the Proud Boys is a terrorist organization. And The attorney says my client is the leader of the Proud Boys. He just called my client a terrorist. And the judge said no. He can still be on the jury if he wants to. Okay, so that's what we're dealing with in D.C. Right? And this is all on record. And you know, there's another guy, Steve Baker. He is phenomenal at. Um, he's at all these trials. He tweets out and gives all these updates. And you know, he's really the only person in the media who is there every single day and doing justice in terms of reporting. You know, I met a guy in prison who's who's living my nightmare. You know, and 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 to, before I say that, I just want to say, this whole thing has really uh, put a big spotlight on the criminal injustice that's happening in this country in general. This, what they've done to January six years, they've been doing this to people on other charges for, for decades. And and I think that we all knew it. I, I knew it, but I didn't know it. If that makes sense, like I knew it's happening. I just didn't realize how wide scale and just how big of a problem this really is in this country. So I go to prison, I'm meeting people. And I'll just tell you, I saw the child molesters that's in there, which is a lot and crazy. That's a whole other situation, but outside of them, 90% of the people, literally 90% of the people in, are in there on victimless crimes. I mean, it's, it's sad, but I meet a guy and, uh, he's been in there for 20 years or whatever. He's got like seven to go. I don't know, something like that. he's a 20 some year sentence. And, uh, his kids were around my kids' age when he went in there and I asked him what they're doing now. He, he's like, I don't even get to talk to him anymore. But his youngest had just gotten married and He's got grandbabies he's never met. And you know, I went back to my cell and just sort of my eyes out because I was like, that was my fear. Like that was that 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 was a weight on my chest for a year of thinking that I was never gonna watch my kids grow up. And I can't even begin to explain to what that does to you from a mental and emotional standpoint. If if you love your kids and just to think that it's almost worse than death, you know, because like you are still alive and you watching and knowing that they're there and they're growing up and you can't be a part of that i i i honestly there's no words i there's no words going to describe how that makes you feel
1: or i have talked to like quite a few uh parents uh mothers and fathers that have like wrongfully got their kids taken away by uh cps which is another corrupt government agency um trafficking agency call it what it is and yeah and it's like a lot of people um, gladly listen you know about the kids, which is is very tragic in in itself, but a lot of people don't take into account what those parents go through. They really end up like breaking down with uh mental problems because of it, so yeah, that's definitely a story that I've heard many times, and it's understandable. My question was for you after you talking about your kids a l- a little bit was, um I know your kids are fairly small, but like how when you were in prison, like, how did you and your wife kind of explain that? Like, where's daddy at?
2: You know, I do real estate and I flip homes and everything. So my kids, you know, they're, they see me at work a lot and I'll take them to Lowe's or Home Depot and stuff with me or to the to the workhouses, as they call them. And so we, we just told them that I was away at work uh, for that period of time. Um, as they get older, you know, I'll definitely tell them. I mean, they're going to know. And so I'll, I'll definitely explain it to them. They're just too young to understand that right now. Uh, but that that's how we explained it. it. It was hard because they're so young, they don't understand concept of time. So, you know, I remember i remember looking at my five-year-old, and and I was just telling her, you know, it's three months, and she's just, like, crying around, is that a long time? Like, she had no idea, you know, it could have been 30 years for her, three days. She didn't know. All she knew is that um, the, the dad who's there every single day wasn't going to be there for her, and she could just feel our emotions and knew that this was not like uh, an over – you know, up until this point, I've never been away from her more than two nights in a row. You know, I'd never, never been out, been away from them that long. And, uh, so they, they knew something was up and, um, that was, that was the hardest part of the whole process was the last day, uh, before reporting to prison. And, uh, you know, that not, so, so what I did, it's crazy. I actually, uh, went to prison early. I called and asked if I could self-report early and they were like, wait, you want to come to prison early? I was like, Yeah. Uh, the reason why is if I went on my report date, I was going to miss true treat with my kids for about like three days. And so if I could have went in a week early, I was going to get home and be, able to be there for true treating. And so they, they allowed me to do that. And so I uh, decided I was going to do it at night time so that we put the kids to bed. I thought it would be easier than you know them just watching me leave and then they're there the rest of the day. So I uh, took the kids back and I uh, remember put my, my little girls down first and uh, said the bedtime prayers with them. and. Uh, you know they're crying and confused, and um, and I go out and I broke down. I start crying all the hallway before I went to my boys' room. You know to to tell to do to repeat the same process. And outside there, I could hear my my older one, you know Marley talking to Emma and saying, uh, "It's okay. We're gonna be strong, Emma. It's okay." You know, and that was a proud moment of mine, I guess. And then. We repeat the same process with my boys, <clears throat> and then we go downstairs. And um, my, my wife had been so strong; she's Superwoman. She's been amazing throughout all this. But th- this was her moment, if you will. You know, she came downstairs, and she looked at me and just started breaking down. And, you know, started crying, and like all these emotions for the last 18 months just started coming out all at once. You know, and, um, and so after that, though, we were sitting there, and we thought the kids had, had went to sleep, and and uh, so She asked if I was ready to go, and I said, I "Thought you'd never ask." You know, let's go. Let's go. And uh, so we go out and get in the car and she shuts the door and the car door and I see the curtains move upstairs and uh, look upstairs. And there are my two girls. Uh, you know, It's dark. Looking through the streetlights is really the only lights that are out there right now on the moon and stuff. But um, uh, I see my two little girls standing in the window, looking out the window. And I remember telling my wife, don't start that car right now. Because um, <clears throat> it was just hard for me in that moment, knowing that uh, they got up and ran to the window scared that the noise they heard was their dad it was ready to leave them for who knows how long to them you know so waited until they went back uh back away from the window to bed and we started the car up and went and reported to prison which is something that nobody could ever you could ever prepare for that to be honest with you you just you just can't um <clears throat> it was a long car ride there quiet uh, you know honestly the first little bit we were just replaying everything i'm telling my wife pay this bill out of this one, you know, for the business. She's never, you know, she's a nurse and she runs our entire house. I've never paid any bills here at the house, but I pay all the bills in the business. So she's never done that before. And I'm like, you know, so I kept us busy for the first 20, 30 minutes and just like, you know, make sure you're paying this bill out of this and this one out of that. But then we start seeing the signs. Don't pick up hitchhikers. There's a prison here. And that's when reality kind of started setting in and, and, uh, got there and, you know, said our goodbyes and um, just walked, walked in the door and, recorded a prison <laughs> was the Gary to be the start of eight days of solitary confinement. So, um, it was hard. I've never even shared the, the, these stories. It's kind of crazy. Just a lot of things comes back in my head as I'm talking about them, but you know, I've heard people say I was speechless, like truly speechless. And and you that, that really is, that's real. That, that's, that truly happens. That can happen to you. And, and, and I say that because I've been in solitary confinement for eight days. And then the first day I wasn't able to make a phone call. So it was my ninth day. And uh, <clears throat> I remember uh, I finally was able to call. My wife answers the phone. And I'd been so strong up at that point. You don't want inmates or anybody else to see, you know, that you're emotional or anything like that, obviously. And um, in- instantly it was just like all these emotions hit me. And I just had a lump in my throat. I couldn't speak. Like, I'm, I'm not even joking. It was it was a 10 seconds. I, I could not speak. It was hard. And, uh, and I'll, so I'll never forget that. Uh, but I would call home and, and speak with them I had one 15 minute phone call a day. So I'd speak to each kid for about two minutes and then I would speak to a lot for seven minutes roughly. And, you know, a lot of it was dealing with business stuff and just what's going on and you guys, okay. And, you know, and, and those types of questions. And, and that, that was, that was really all I got to do, uh, for three months. And it was hard. Um, but when, when I came home, uh, it was, it was great. It was amazing. It was, uh, you know. No words can describe how thankful you are for the little things uh, when you come out of out of that environment. for For a while there, it was traumatic. Anytime I walked outside for any reason, they would they would freak out and think
0: I wasn't coming back,
2: and that was hard.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I know that that's like you you talk you've talked done interviews and stuff like that. That's still like just deeply personal, and um you know it definitely makes me cry. I have two little kids myself.
2: That. you know you went through the uh i would say the initial shock is probably one of the hardest parts from that personal standpoint of, of reporting and you know you went through that so i mean honestly that you know firsthand no you can't ever um prepare for that first day uh, in, in jail or prison there's just people who's there went through you just you'll never know you know
0: so all that time you deal with all of your shit Leading up to that moment, and I I don't think there's a lot of thought that goes behind of like who are you really going to meet, who is going to be there, what is it going to be like, and did you have a lot of those thoughts beforehand or no?
2: I've always been a fan of Sixty Days in before this. So I've always watched that show, so I, that was really the only knowledge I had, I guess, of prison uh, or jail. Uh, so no, honestly, though, like you said, I hadn't really put a lot of thought into that. My, my main focus was trying to. Do as much as I could to streamline things to make things as easy as possible for my wife and for my kids while I was gone. And and you know, one of the best things my wife is a genius, she, um, she it was her idea, uh, to make videos for my kids. So, you know, I made a video saying, uh, bedtime prayers every single night. Uh, I missed birthdays, so I made videos singing happy birthday. I missed the first day of school, so I made videos for that. Um, I made videos of just playing little games, you know, like just stare at the screen so you can not blink the longest, just little things like that. And uh, my wife would play that for them, and that that was really, really, really beneficial uh, for them throughout all of that. Um, So I did that. That was my main focus uh, leading up to all of that. It really wasn't. I hadn't really thought about any of that stuff. Really, honestly, it was probably three or four days into solitary confinement before I really started even remotely concerned about what was going to happen with the general population. You know, I hadn't even processed that that much. I'll never forget how loud. It is when they close those uh those doors i can tell you that much um but yeah i mean I, it, I i went through eight days of solitary confinement and that was that was mentally challenging for sure and you know we got people right now who's been sitting in solitary confinement for six or seven hundred days on pretrial. i mean it's i can't even imagine what this has done to them from a mental standpoint because eight, eight days was that was rough so i can imagine 600.
0: um like when we talk when you talk about people that are sitting in solitary confinement do you know um, any of these people's story in particular? Like are these people that committed crimes, um, you know, seen as worse when you, when you talked about the categories of basically like the crimes that they had? Um, or do you feel like, or do we know that these people are just purely political prisoners and being, um, you know, treated this way, not having uh, committed a serious crime?
2: It's a mixture of both, honestly. I mean, there's some people who did commit crimes, but still, I mean, people get out on bond all the time pre-trial if they're not a flight risk and they're not, you know, you know, these violent extremists, you know. So they should still be home with their constitutional rights protected to to be, you know, fighting their legal battles and be home with their families. But some of these people are in there pre-trial right now in solitary confinement from from misdemeanors. Some of them are for quote-unquote conspiracy. You know, Ken Harrelson is a member of the Oath Keepers and. You know he's on my video that's pinned to my twitter feed the, if anybody goes to watch that the very last person before i get to the police officer and he gives me a fist bump uh the last person who walks by with his hands up in the air uh, i think he's holding a flagpole or whatever that's ken harrelson he's a member of the oath keepers nonviolent, non-destructive didn't do anything wrong in terms of anything on that his actions of that day he just happens to be somebody walked through the capitol and happens to be a member of the Oath Keepers, and that was enough for him to have sat in solitary confinement for, you know, six hundred some days. I'm uh, his wife. They live in Florida, but his wife's actually, from, I'm pretty sure, from Louisiana. Uh, her handle on there is Cajun Queen something or whatever. She posts all the time on Twitter, and you know, it's um, it's just a wider range of people that's sitting in there right now, um, pre-trial, and, and that's that's why mm-hmm. I speak out. You know, uh, they're not able to speak out for themselves, and uh, I think it's important for. Until recently, no one had really completed their prison sentences and everything with January 6th to be able to speak out. And so, for the last two years, it's been all over the media, but nobody has really gotten to know us as individuals, as people. We're just headlines, and that's more than understandable. But it's my job, or my goal, I should say, for myself and others to speak out to humanize us, if that makes sense. So, people see us as people, as individuals, as Fathers and husbands and mothers and daughters and family members and just patriots, people who love this country, as opposed to just a headline that says terrorist or insurrectionists. want them to know us for who we are and actually get to know us as individual people. And that that's why I'm so passionate about speaking out about this.
0: I appreciate being in spaces with you and thank you so much for doing um, this interview with us today.
2: You know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and, and share that. I will say that, um, I don't know exactly when this is airing, but I'm making an official announcement on January 6th, Uh, you know, I'm going to run for U.S. Congress here in West Virginia, so um, I'm going to continue fighting for what I believe in and fighting for the people of this area, and, you know, we've done a lot of polls and everything in the area, and um, let's just say that I live in one of the reddest districts in the country, and let's just say that the people in Southern West Virginia are really excited to have a political outsider such as myself to have the opportunity to vote for. So I'm really excited to see how this is going to go. And uh, we're going to jump back in the ring and, uh, and, you know, dust our britches off and get back after it.
1: If you had one minute to speak to the entire world, what would you say?
2: If I had one minute to speak to the entire world, I would say that, uh, first of all, I would say that Jesus is real and that, um, you know, and you're, lowest and darkest moments is when you're going to get the closest to him i remember sitting in prison and uh just having the opportunity to um to get closer to god and closer to jesus and uh, that's the most important thing that in anyone's life uh, as far as i'm concerned so that that would be the main message of that the other thing i would want to say is uh you should never regret your past because it's what shapes your future you can always dwell in the past and say what if this and what if that but there's nothing you can do about it We got to, you know, just move forward with with the the cards we're dealt with and make the most of it. And then the last thing I want to say is, you know, look, um, a lot of this is all about perception. You know, I met a lot of people. And first of all, there's a lot of really good people in prison. uh, But I met a lot of people in prison who were just so discouraged and mentally beaten down. And they just chose to take every single day and be miserable. I've met a lot of people in there. And I was one of these people. I woke up every single day. I thank, thank God for another day of life. I thank him for having a warm bed to sleep in and food to eat and the opportunity to witness to other people and to share the message of God with people behind these walls that I otherwise would never had the opportunity to do that. And I thank him for the health of my family. And, you know, I was somebody who sat around every single day and looked outside that fence for wildlife. I spotted deer and turkey and geese and was showing other inmates and just trying to take over the, you know, taking the beauty that we're surrounded with, we can find the beauty in anything. And I would challenge you to find the beauty in anything. Know that Jesus is real, and never regret your past. That, that'll be my message.
0: Amen to that. Thank you so much, Derek. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show, and we look forward to chatting with you more. We're going to aim to have this out on January sixth uh if that's okay with you if we can coordinate with that um and your big announcement so that way we can include that on the podcast and we don't run any spoiler alerts maybe i'll come out the day before i need a spoiler alert no i'm just kidding (laughs) um you know big news um and so but thank you for truly for everything that you've shared with us and everything that you continue to do it's important to share your message um you said really humanize what is what is happening um not only to january sixers um but you know behind the walls of prison i think that's um a reality that a lot of people other than watching it on tv don't get to hear about don't get to experience and it's something we don't want to think about um but the real thing is is our justice system is broken
2: i just said i appreciate you guys for having me on i appreciate all the great work you guys are doing uh you know, and health freedom and your podcast, all the Twitter spaces. I really appreciate everything that you guys are doing.
0: Before you go hit, follow and share with a friend.